Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. I've just watched Roger Federer's match against Marta Fucevic, which he won in four sets here at the Australian Open, in Catherine's flat. Surrounded by snacks and beer, I'm on my second one. It's two beers and law night for the first time in the Australian Open in 2020. And we've got the screen on showing uh, Matt's beloved Fulham live against Manchester City. And Matt seems to be watching through his fingers. Um, Fulham in ch- horror. Channeling Martin Fucevic. <laughs> yes, it's it's not going very well. Oh, we've just passed the ball straight there. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. All right. <laughs> the live updates are not what the tennis podcast listeners are coming for. Um, so let's go backwards through the order of play, shall we? And start with Roger Federer, who had obviously had that match against John Millman a couple of nights ago, and somehow survived. And tonight he he lost the first set. And it was, yeah, it was alarm bells, but he, he ended up winning easily, really, because the sets two, three, and four were, were, were straightforward. What, were, I mean, what was your sense of what you saw? Well, during our tennis podcast viewing party, uh, yeah, I think, I think Federer himself said in his rather peculiar on-court interview with John McEnroe with dad jokes aplenty by the end, but the start of that interview was reasonably insightful into how he was feeling um and he said that he was kind of struggling to wake up in the morning post john milman which i think was making light of the fact that actually he was pretty knackered after that match and this was a bit of a hangover in that first set and the other thing he said was that milman had really take you know taken given his ground strokes a beating and he was short on confidence that, that was an interesting insight, wasn't it? Yeah. For Federer to admit that Millman basically took his confidence mm-hmm. from yeah. him. Yeah. Well, I mean, even after that that victory over Millman two nights ago, when he was, you know, he was giddy, wasn't he? He was high on life. He still was talking about demons, mm. which was just an incredible line at the time. And Fuchovic, for as much as there's there's there are things to admire there, he's not the guy to test Federer in those weak spots is he in in the areas that he has those niggling mm. demons whereas Millman honed in on Federer's forehand and just went after it and after it and broke it down quite frankly Federer's forehand was spraying all over the place the other night um whereas Fuchovic himself makes 
quite a lot of errors. He's got more of a big game. It's less built on solidity. So Federer, I think, once he was able to get a little bit of a foot in the match, was able to play a bit more freely, mix up his game a lot more. Um, and he's got that ability because he's able to come to the net, come forward, and he's got options if uh, to now. Um, <laughs> someone else, someone else, carry on. Okay. Um, Eighteen not, minutes. Not going to do much for the morality <laughs> of this podcast. The, the morale of the podcast is just diving. At least we can have gallows humour as part of it instead. Uh, I've also got more beer over here, Matt. Um, this is live on the BBC. Yeah, this. the yeah they get like millions watching this. <laughs> Abject humiliation. Um, the the next round for Federer, it's uh, it's tennis Sangren. Should uh, we should we pause while you do dad jokes? Well, given that you are a dad, I think I, j- I just need to Im- inform my my parents who are listening to this that the man's name is actually tennis. Come on, everyone knows that now. <laughs> no, they do, they He's don't. He's been know around. That. F- They've He's been in our consciousness for three years. My parents have never heard of him. Uh, it's tennis with a wife. No, but they're podcast <laughs> listeners, and we've talked about him on the podcast. We've done your whole bit about um, saying your names like Cherish or something at Starbucks. Oh, yes. That was as a result of tennis. Was it? Lying. He lies about his name. Come on, this is just rehashing old material. I was joking about pausing for tennis jokes. I lie about yeah, my he, name to amuse my wife. He lies about his name to Starbucks um, when he's ordering a coffee because yes. he doesn't want to have to explain that his name is tennis. Oh, he does. And then oh, that you set you up. Yes, but then at the time, podcast three years ago. <laughs> How do you remember you all said, this oh, stuff? You know, you busted out. You're lying about your name at Starbucks yeah. story. Do you know when I was in Orlando, I called myself Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> this is like McEnroe and Federer all over again. And Donald. Anyway. That's a bit close to the bone. So, um, Donald Duck. <laughs> Duck. Not Trump. Yeah, he's definitely the most famous Donald in the year 2020, David. I was at Disney. <laughs> Goodness. <Pedro. laughs> it worked. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. You, you had the audacity to sit there laughing at McEnroe and Federer doing jad, dad jokes earlier. Some of us are proud of their dad jokes, <laughs> right? Me and Federer, both the same. All of us are like that. <laughs> um, right. So where do we get to? Tennis Sangren, who beat Fabio Fanini today. Uh, let's we'll talk, talk about, about that later. Or should we talk about let's it now? Let's talk about it now, okay. because that was just an absolute joke of a match. I, I turned on. They'd, they'd obviously had a perfectly run-of-the-mill first set tie-break in which they'd both played well and battled it out. And then at the end of it, the next thing I know is I'm looking at Tennis Sangren having an absolute go at the umpire, Damon Dumasoir, and Fabio Fanini is nowhere to be seen at all. Just and not on the court. Just not on the court. At what stage is is Fabio Fanini already had his point penalty at this stage? No, no. Oh. So what? So what's happened? From my understanding, what's happened is the end of the set has come. They've had the normal kind of sit down, and Fabio's, I think, probably just upset and sitting there or whatever. And then Fabio decides he needs to go off the court to go to the toilet. Um, and I, think, I get the impression he probably hovered over whether or not he'd bother coming back. I think I think I think he did that when they were saying time, right? So <laughs> then. Tennis Sangren says, this is not right. This is not in the rules. And Fabio Fanini didn't come back for seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> he eventually comes back. Um, and whilst he's walking, oh, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline here. As, as he's walking back, there's, so there's this big row going on. 
and um, and and then he he comes back and he loses the next game to Love, and 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 he's playing terribly, and then he just takes off his shirt whilst it's not even a it's not even a sit down. So he starts changing his shirt in front of everybody, and he gets a point penalty at that point. So he goes Love fifteen down. Then he. Uh, he, he's, he refuses to carry on because he needs to have a, a medical timeout for a blister. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he starts getting a blister sorted out when all this is going on. Um, and Tennis Sangren is going up the wall at this point. Understandably. And, and he mm. is saying, I mean, Fabio was taking the Michael. Uh, it was outrageous what he was doing. Uh, did I say tennis or Fabio? Fabio, yeah, um, and so they they battle it out and they go on for another. Uh, Sangren goes up two sets to love because he immediately goes three love up. It looked like it looked like Fanini had given up, it just mm-hmm. didn't want to be there. And then suddenly he clicks into gear and plays some of the most marvelous tennis you've ever seen um, to make it competitive. Goes to four sets. The match point was one of the best points of the tournament so far. Finished with a Sangren lunge volley. He he just they were just going straining their muscles to get side to side. They used every inch of the cord, a brilliant rally. Sangren won it. Um, and, and Fanini's out. So that's why Sangren now plays Roger Federer. But as you told me, uh, I didn't see this, but you said that F- Sangren was, was really impeded. He, like by the end, he'd, he'd hurt himself. Yeah, I mean, when it went to four, I was, I think, had Fanini been more dialed in or had it just not been Fanini? Um I was expecting Sangren to to lose from from that point because he looked so impeded. He, I mean, it, he he had a major issue with his left hip that was preventing him from pushing off on the forehand. It was sort of echoes of, especially with it being on the Melbourne Arena. It was sort of a, a haunting echo of of Andy Murray um, thrashing around the Melbourne Arena with a with with one hip last year. I mean, incredible that he came through and and won in four. Um, and dealt with <laughs> with what he described afterwards as a as the circus of playing Fabio Fanini. He did his his <laughs> um, after that extraordinary match point. His victory celebration was a sort of Shakespearean bow <laughs> right. to the crowd. It was yeah, it was elaborate. Okay, which I'm all for. Um, but um, he's got a very distinctive look going on at the moment, Tennis Angren, with his guns very much out. So it was quite a sort of I don't know. He, it yes, was a, it, it was a it was a look. He was one of only two players that entered out of 128 in the male draw wearing a sleeveless shirt, and uh, both remain. <laughs> so it's now two out of eight. Is it? Are we into quarterfinals. We are. Uh, not quite. I no. like his sort of shameless. I've been to the gym a lot in the past three week, three months, and I, I really want people to know about it. <laughs> that the really is that. And he's actually quite open about it as well. He, he, is, he, he, he actually described why he'd chosen that shirt and said, I've been working out. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like I can pull it off. Yeah, he definitely didn't look like that when he reached the quarterfinals here two years ago. <laughs> he was wearing very baggy clothes, yeah. actually, <laughs> um, which I can relate to. Um, so, yeah. He's through. I mean, well done to him. And uh, I, I mean, I can't see him causing Federer problems. If he can't move 100% right and well, it took John Millman, the type of player he is and the sort of fitness he's got and the consistency he's got in order to push Federer to that limit. And Federer wasn't even on top of his game. So I don't know. What do you think? I can't see Sangren beating Federer. Well, the, the tone of, of 
Federer's uh, conversation with with McEnroe when Sangren was brought up indicated that Federer is not stressed about the prospect of tennis Sangren. <laughs> no, no, they've never never played before. But no, whereas the body language about Milman was, mm, you know, absolutely yeah. before and during and even after he still wasn't over that match. He still wasn't over it today. I don't think. No, um, but it did. I don't know about you, but it did make me think. Just imagine what Djokovic would do to him if Milman put that sort of performance on him. Given how 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 Djokovic is playing right now, I don't I don't think Djokovic could look better if he tried right now. Agreed, and I think the conditions are really not suited to Federer, particularly today. I popped out onto the Rod Laver Arena for Ash Barty, and. It, it felt like Eastbourne. <laughs> it was so chilly and windy, and that made the conditions really slow today, which Federer said he didn't favour. This this new surface they've put down is slower. The balls are fluffing up after a few games. It's slow. The forecast is for it to get hotter and therefore faster, um, but how much do we trust the Melbourne forecast? It's I mean, certainly going to get hotter. Mm, but is it going to be hot enough to it, properly speed up the conditions? I'm not sure. I mean, the forecast is for it to get drastic mm. next And doesn't next it week. need to sort of be sunny in order to make mm. the the, uh, the court fast, yeah. i.e. like the, the actual court to be, you know, heated up Lively. by sun? Mm. I, don't, I don't know. And it's going to be, it'll be a night session match if Federer plays Djokovic in the semis. I just think it could have echoes of that semi-final they played in 2016 when Djokovic came out and took the first two sets 6-1, 6-2 and there was just nothing Federer could do to counter Djokovic's depth and relentlessness. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that's a good matchup at all for Federer at the moment, particularly given he's looking pretty scrappy. It always makes me laugh when tennis players and former players talk about court speed and conditions because they so rarely agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was there was that thing with um, John Millman making the the tennis balls wet with his own sweat by wrapping in, wrapping them in his shirt, and Brad Gilbert and Marty Fish and all these other players they're all arguing about whether it'd make it fast or slow. Mm. And, mm. Uh, you know, in terms of what it would do to the balls, they're all disagreeing. Um, yes, there we are. I, I do wonder whether. Federer's best chance will be Milos Raonic, although the head-to-head there would indicate certainly not. You don't want to be relying on that result. No. You'll be getting a, a, nice, uh, a nice preview of that in tomorrow's show, because uh, I've been speaking to Goran Ivanisvic after t- today's match. Uh, we've had, got 10 minutes of that. And we've got 10 yeah, minutes of Max Verlander today. the graveyard of uh, Goran's exes yes. on Margaret Court Arena today. Yes, because... Uh, Marin Cilic was beaten by Raonic. Yeah, not fully fit, I don't think, Cilic. No, no. Um, understandably so, but um, And, and there, is, there is something about the way Raonic is playing at this tournament. There's a calmness to him, um, and he's, he's really peaking at the right time at the end of sets. And I think <laughs> the fact that we weren't talking about Raonic, I don't think anyone really saw Raonic as a contender. He has not had much matches. He's the 32nd seed. But I don't think that bothered Raonic at all. He's a man of real self-belief in his own game. And if he thinks he's fit and he's healthy, he thinks he's a threat. And he, I feel like he still thinks he's a scalp. He still thinks he's the same danger to the top players as he was when he was at his peak a few years ago. 
even Djokovic with that head to head? However, you, do you believe you? <laughs> oh, right. I've preempted your big butt. Yeah, so I went to both press conferences, and obviously, Ranić and Djokovic were both asked about that match. And Djokovic was asked to compare Ranić's serve to Karlovic and Isner, and he's, he basically said that he can read Ranić's serve in a way that he can't really read Isner and Karlovic. He has to rely on a little bit more guesswork and really exploiting their movement. Whereas with Raonic, it's, it's more a case of, actually, I can read this thing and I can get my returns back. And Raonic echoed that. He said that he really finds Djokovic the hardest returner because he returns, he stands up the court, returns up the middle of the court, takes his angles away and used this really interesting phrase that he, he doesn't give you time to organise yourself. And Raonic is absolutely a player that needs that time with his long, elaborate swings. I think he's all about organisation in all aspects, all aspects of, of life. life. Yeah. yeah, you only have to look at his hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he feels just completely uncomfortable playing playing Djokovic for that reason. Um, and you know, we talk about slow conditions that those will also favour Djokovic in a matchup against Raonic. Mm. Yeah. And, and actually, I, I believe that in his head, he feels he's as big a deal and as much as of, a, of a force as he was in 2016 when he was beat, meeting Andy Murray in the final of Wimbledon. He believes he's still the same player yeah. if he's fully fit. Yeah. But back then, he had a an inferiority complex against Novak Djokovic. And right now, I'm sure he has, because why wouldn't you when your record is 0-9? Mm. Um, that and it, and most of the re- the matches have not been close. Djokovic just takes away his biggest weapon very quickly in a match. Okay, it might go to a tiebreak in the first set, but but also it underestimates. I think we we are guilty as a profession, um, generally, of underestimating the Novak Djokovic serve because it's not spectacular. It's, it's, it's becoming more so. It's just become so much more effective, hasn't it, mm. and efficient. How do you break the guy? It's mm. not easy anymore. And he backs it up so well. You might get it back, but if he's hitting his spots, you're only going to get it back maybe up the middle of the court, and then he's got the best ground strokes probably in the world mm. to take over the point. He beat Diego Schwartzman today, and it wasn't close. It was not even... For a, there was not a second in that match when I thought he was going to lose. No. Um, I, th- I thought Schwartzman would test him a bit more, actually. So did I. Mm. I was really struck yeah. by just how easily he brushed him I thought he'd force off. a tie-break or a 7-5 mm. set. Or, you know, there'd be a moment where he'd get on a roll. and He'd be up 5-2 in a set or something. Yeah. Because he's a flashing blade kind of player. Exactly. And he, the leg's going but a million miles an hour and Djokovic all the rest was it. just too good. Too good. Mm. So... Um, that takes us to the other evening match we had today, which, which was Ash Barty beating Alison Risk. And I, I thought this was a little similar to Federer beating Milman the other night, kind of just being able to do something. I mean, I, I know Federer has beaten Milman before, but it just had that feeling of, crikey, he's, he, he beat him even when it didn't look like he would. And yes, Barty was in charge and she won the first set and then Risk won the second 6-1. But all the way through it felt really as though Barty was vulnerable tonight. Um, even though she was playing well because Risk is her, is her difficult player. They'd played twice before. Risk had won them both, including at Wimbledon. And ends up being a pretty big win, I think. Yeah, I think so too. She, she seemed... Um, she, there seemed to be trepidation in... in Barty 
tonight uh, and pres- I think down to the opponent and I, I've, I have so much admiration for Alison Risk I really do I love that after she lost the first set she just hunkered down she didn't make a single unforced error in the second set she just yeah she just completely hunkered down and it was really effective she, she gets she gets in Barty's head in a way that she's so unaggressive about it she but she is that's what she's doing just she just never goes away even for a, a flicker of a moment um and yet still looking at her game I'm thinking what is she actually doing that's that's being effective here I, I couldn't I, I was watching on a screen whereas you were watching in your incredible position from the five live commentary box and you I think you've got a better perspective than I do of what actually tennis wise Alison Risk was doing to hurt Barty because other than not making mistakes and sort of being in her head a bit I couldn't couldn't quite figure it out it's fascinating you know the the closest it only just occurred to me the closest game star that I can compare it to from yesteryear actually is probably someone like Jimmy Connors in terms of this kind of paddling forehand where it's all straight armed and open faced and no top spin and then this rifled backhand um and again sometimes almost hit under spin because it's all it all feels flat to me and watching court level the way we do even more so you're behind the player and you see this ball just shoot off into the distance with no dip on it at all and the the premium is on whether she's accurate because she's not hitting it that hard, but it just skates through. So she's going into the corners, and when it hits the ground, it just shoots off very low. And um, and Barty's left with that little conundrum. How does she play against it? Does she slice? Does she drive? Does And she, she ends up getting kind of handcuffed a little bit like i suppose like the way Djokovic handcuffs people um but st- and, and and then she'll follow it in and knock off follies that's the other thing so but i also think there probably is a mental element to it once you've lost a couple of times to the same player especially at wimbledon mm. and you're, you know i mean the pressure on barty here you described it as uh, uh, when you were watching it as a, you're trying to work out whether it was flat as an atmosphere and in the second set, you could see people are just absolutely terrified at the prospect of a losing. It, it's fascinating how the Rod Laver crowd respond to that. They go quiet. They <laughs> yeah. go. They respond to tension by going quiet rather than than rousing. They need the their, player, their player to they, get them going. Exactly, yeah. and especially with Barty, I think, because Barty is not demonstrative with fist pumps and urging the crowd on in the way that John Millman was the other night against Federer. They just respond to her brilliant tennis. But if her <laughs> tennis goes a bit quiet, they follow and go a bit quiet. Mm. And there was this tension in in the stadium. Um, but yeah, I think risk as well is, she's clearly, for the reasons you've said, less bothered by Ash Barty's style than a lot of players. And therefore, Barty is the one slightly having to adapt. Whereas often, Barty comes with such a unique game that players have to adapt to her. And it just seems like the other way round in that matchup, and maybe that throws Barty off a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it's certainly a matchup you want to see more of. And and risk is, you know, we'll come on to Sophia Kennan. I felt like both those players are kind of similar in that they're Americans and they've really climbed up the rankings. But there's not been a huge amount of hype or mm. talk about them. They're not these 
um, really exciting prospects or players that get everyone talking, but they are both really, really good players. Which is particularly bizarre in Kennan's case because she's she's young. Because she's young. She's yeah. she's a breakthrough, up and comer, exciting young player that's had zero height. And it was ex- she's beaten Serena Williams and at the, a grand the, slam. The thing it's extraordinary is, to compare that to Coco Goff, who yeah. she played today. It's particularly jarring when you consider that she is actually a child phenomenon. From when she was six, seven years of age, there are videos out mm. there shown of her six or seven years of age hitting the ball with Maria Sharapova and being interviewed and asked, who's your favorite player? She says, Andy Roddick. They say, oh, what would you do if you played against? If you, could you return his serve? And she goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, well, how would you do that? Well, I'd just split step and I'd have a short take back and I'd return it. <laughs> and she's like six or seven years old. Um, this is Sophia Kennan. And for some reason, I can't quite remember all the story of how she didn't then just come through like the prodigy that Coco Goff is. Despite all this hype, and this stuff happened all the time, she was always playing exhibitions with, with big-named players when she was a, a little child. Um, and here she is, tw- age 21, and she's had a, a steady rise really, hasn't she, if you look at the ranking. And then suddenly last year, it all clicked. But it clicked in that kind of relentless way she has. She just, she never throws in a rubbish performance. She's always there. You might beat her, but you have to beat her. I, everything you were saying about why you admire Alison Risk is similar with Kenin, that attitude. She's all business. Mm. She, she stalks around the court like she owns it. I love it. I, I really find her composure just great to watch, and I think it I think it threatens opponents because they know that there's no let up against it whatsoever. She's a, she's a, she's the ultimate street fighter. That was so noticeable in that match against Serena at the French Open, mm. wasn't it? That that there was just I mean, if anything, she was the one that was intimidating out yeah. there. Her body language was more intimidating, and Serena almost seemed sort of a a bit taken aback that her usual currency just didn't even register with with Sophia Kennan. She just didn't even seem to notice that it was Serena Williams up the other end of the court. And presumably Serena was has been an enormous part of her whole life. There's a, and there's also a Russian background for Sophia Kennan. She says that her feistiness is a result of her Russian heritage. Um, and and her, her, the person she idolized was Maria Sharapova, and she's played against her. Um, and here she is in the quarterfinals. So she plays now on Stjabur? Correct, yeah. And what a story she is. Incredible story. I mean, this is, uh, for a start, if you haven't seen her play, go watch her. Because she has yeah. to be one of the most watchable tennis players on the circuit, in terms of just being fun to watch, the the, the sheer ball ball playing ability she has is a treat. You know, she's got every shot in the book. She's got imagination, and she's got the ability to pull it off. Spins. It's like you know, there's there's, a, there's almost a Nick Kyrgios vibe to to, mm. to her skill set, mm. um, and and she's not physically imposing. She's she's not a tall woman. I just find it really uplifting that she's managed to get herself to the quarterfinals. And, and then there's a, a, a background to it as well, because she, I think she's the first Arab person to, to reach the quarterfinals. I think I read since Hichimarazi. 
back uh, in oh, goodness yeah. knows how and long I think ago. the first Arab woman ever yeah, ever oh, really yeah. and, and, and absolutely the first I mean she was the first Tunisian woman to reach uh, Grand Slam fourth round um, yeah she's an incredible story and as I say the fact that she doesn't shy away from from any of those those features of her success I, I just find wonderful and sort of depressingly refreshing I suppose because so many so many do shy away from that stuff as understandable as it is she's she's more than happy to be a, a trailblazer and speak up about stuff that that she finds important um she's an incredible story and what an opportunity for Jabur and uh and Sophia Kennan what yeah. an opportunity it's fantastic really um, for them individually and I just think you know it's just really nice to have two new players on that stage um, mm. and I really don't know who's going to win and also not to just completely come out of nowhere I mean Kenin's been yes. building for the last year in particular Jabur we've always kind of known had this had this potential She's in her which she seems to have just unlock. oh that could be tricky exactly when someone draws Jabur Mm. She's an all that could be tricky. Well, the moment person. the moment Joe Conta drew her, and I know yeah. Conta had got this knee injury, etc. But even if she hadn't, you could imagine that Jabir would have given her nightmares. Yeah, really. And I, I think, I mean, we will completely never know, but I think Jabir would have troubled Serena mm. had uh, Serena come through the Chong Wong match. I think that it was a tough match up for Serena. What did she and beat Wong about seven, f- six, two tight sets? Was well, it was a tight first set and then a fairly comfortable second set yeah. and Jabir said that she wanted to play Serena interesting yeah she she wanted that opportunity that experience that that as you're saying that opportunity to put her game up against Serena's wow. and see what would have happened and I, I love that she's open about that as well she's she's really charming Jabir in mm. in her press conferences she's she's really open and I, I, I read a quote that she'd um, been sitting side by side on the exercise bike with Sophia Kennan in the warm down yeah. after the match, and, uh, and and one of them said to the other, "Oh, how are you feeling? Tired? No. You? No. <laughs> see you on." Uh, <laughs> well, once one on said no, the other one's obviously going to say no. I feel I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we wrap the the Coco Goff story? Yeah. How would you like to done? wrap it? Well, both of you commented. I saw a tweet from Matt, but you said something similar, I think, on our WhatsApp group. That, I mean, I had I had noticed it earlier in the week. I think after her second round match, that Australia has been into Coco Golf. They've they've liked it, and obviously, particularly the match up with with Osaka that was exciting. Um, but it hasn't been mania in the way that it was at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open, and aspects of that mania were were intoxicating and wonderful but elements of it for me I found just ever so slightly irksome as well um and it's been really enjoyable to to watch Coco Goff a bit outside of the mania still with the all the vibes you know it was was brilliant on Melbourne Arena today you know disappointing that the, the deciding set was so one-sided. It was sixth after Kennan. But it was, you know, there were parts of that match that were brilliant. And, and Coco Goff was was electrifying for, for all the reasons that we sort of come to expect her to be electrifying. And just to appreciate her tennis and to get to know it a bit was was a real pleasure for me. And she is some tennis player. I think it, you said uh, she's 
for, not for the first time finding yourself saying she's a better tennis player than I realised because yeah. I don't know whether it's a British thing to sort of be be down on hype but you almost expect to be disappointed by her mm. in, fle- in the flesh because there's so much hype how can anyone possibly live up to that hype plus I think every time we are seeing her from slam to slam Wimbledon to US Open to Australian Open she is adding yeah. she is yeah. she is a better player each slam um, and she's going to get so good. Um, but Kenin, worthy winner today, because she could have ended, ended up winning that in straight sets, actually, as well. Mm. Yeah, um, she was ahead in the first set. And an interesting one for her as well, to be, as a 21-year-old American that's received no hype, to be looking down the other end of the court. I mean, she doesn't seem to have any kind of chip on her shoulder um, about that, which you know is, is reflective of the attitude we've discussed and how impressive she is. Barty is going to play Petra Kvitova, mm. um, which is fascinating for all sorts of reasons because, I mean, that is a big match. And uh, and they played each other, I think, at exactly the same stage last year. Um, Kvitova won on that occasion. I think there have been other matches where Barty's won. So Barty's won all three since. It's <coughs> That rivalry has really turned around. Oh, really? On its head. I, I didn't think, realize it was three. Yeah, I think Kvitova had... Because she beat Barty in Sydney the week before last year's Australian Open. Then she beat her at the Australian Open. And then since then, Barty's won all three. Um, so Kvitova beat Maria Sakari today, which, which was a good match, a slightly strange match, because Kvitova just wasn't finding her range in the first set. And when, when she's like that, she's pretty error-prone and she can... It can run away from her a match. And Sakari did well to hustle and use her athleticism. But then suddenly, Kvitova just started dominating Sakari's serve. At one point, she won six out of Sakari's seven service games. It was a, it was a run. She went in a set and a half without holding serves. Yeah. Sakari. And it was really kind of intimidating to see the way Kvitova can just tee off. And if she's, if she's got her range, which she found... How do you beat her when no, she's was, hitting the ball? It's pretty like dramatic that? because uh, when I, I I had one of my four daytime naps of a year <laughs> uh, at this point when when it was one set of love for Sakari and and I went to to sleep with the uh, the message from Catherine about how smug she was feeling because no I said I'm I'm looking forward to feeling smug in, right at a at some time in the future sometime in the near future yes and then I think I specifically said this is not for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) because obviously what's the opposite of smug (laughs) humiliated I've forgotten that bit pride comes before a fall okay um and and so and then I woke up and it all turned around and um there we are she's a funny one Sakari it's very... Um, she's on the edge of her nerves, isn't she, when she's playing? Yeah, I mean, she did... It's, it, it, it's tough to know how much it's Kavita and how much it's her, but she did... She let the occasion get to her, mm. I think. She really did. Um, the sort of change in her, her demeanour and the obvious signs of stress, and she's got this game that isn't natural i don't think she can it's it's analog it's not digital i don't think she can you know kvitov is just trusting her instincts and she's teeing off she knows what her game is and and you know she's 
at the end of the first set she was obviously I think she said in the on-court interview I don't know how I turned it around I just kept doing it and hoped they'd, st- they'd start going in mm. whereas Sakari you could see her mind whirring yeah um, what, what she's been told what she's supposed to do yeah exactly and, and she's very ambitious Sakari which I like but I think she needs to realise that it's a little bit of a process that she needs to go on. She keeps, like, her quotes today after getting to, um, well, the fourth round here. It was a good, was a good run for Sakari. She beat Madison Keys. First she time. Played, she played above a, her seed. And yet she seemed really disappointed by it. Is it a Greek thing? Perhaps. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I'm quite into <laughs> Or maybe the she's I- learned from Sitsipas. Maybe she, I, I don't know. I'm quite into the idea of them sort of alternating really excellent australian opens <laughs> well we like them both so yeah that'd be all right um okay so kvitova through to play barty fascinating um let's have a, a little look ahead to tomorrow before we hear from mats valander on the state of the men's game uh, which is uh, an interview i did on bbc radio uh, couple of days ago and, and it, as usual Matt's is fascinating it was an event uh, that uh, Eurosport put on because he's working for, for Eurosport who are the rights holders in the UK um, but first of all let's just have a little look ahead to tomorrow to see what we've got um, it is it's still fourth round isn't it yeah so it's the it's the other halves of the draw tomorrow right so it's the, okay so we start with Elise Mertens against Simona Halep on the Rodlova Arena, that that could be close. The way Mer- Mertens is, it'd be long. Yeah, I mean Mertens is dusting players at the moment, but then Halep is looking really good too. Mm. Well, I've got Halep in the final, so oh. I think you should be feeling quite good about that. I don't feel good about any of my predictions. <laughs> <laughs> We've not had the best time, a, have we? It's the no. steam train none of us saw coming, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet. Feels kind of obvious. Yeah, yeah. She got to the final well, last well, year. That's the point. Steam trains are pretty obvious. Yeah, true. Well, Mertens beat Halep in uh, Doha uh, last year. Uh, the French Open, Halep won comfortably in 2018, 2-1. Two um the same in Madrid. So on clay, she's beaten her easily, but she's lost to her on hardcore. Um, so it could be close that. Uh, right, now after that, it's Gael Monfils against Dominic Team. Uh, team who has see my comments about Halep and put them to team team is Thomas Muster has been been talking yes he has not taken this well (laughs) (laughs) his ditching Um, he's given an amazing quote yeah can we hear what it is it's translated from German Mm. yes Um, an interview interview with Boris Becker of all people has been interrogating him he said sometimes Sometimes you see a house that looks nice on the outside, <laughs> but you don't know what's inside. He said, he said, and this is quite a thing to say after being sacked after two weeks, he said, I had seen this being a relationship that go, would go on for years. Oh, dear. And it's lasted it's days. Awkward. Okay, so Dominic Team, he, he should beat Monfils. I mean, on a serious yes. note, something has happened there. Yeah. And that There's is a, story, a concern though. about team whether whether that's going to affect him on the court could be quite tiring couldn't it to have mm. a bit of fallout like that i mean you know to, to make a big decision to, to to kick out an austrian legend mm. like he's not that. used to controversy and no. and dra- he's a drama free zone although Dominic team. although i do remember at the french open last year when he was kicked out of the <laughs> main interview room how we how we thought that 
his reaction to that yes. was actually really what the hell? positive. What the hell? It was it's great. a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was so great. <laughs> and unexpected sass from Dominic Team. Yeah, and then Maybe he made his way what, all the way to the final. That is not what we'd expect from looking at the house. Exactly. <laughs> You've cracked it. <laughs> but he, he, he's dominated the head-to-head against Monfils. I was looking it up earlier. Five, five wins, zero losses, and I think he's won something like eight sets in a row. So Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that continuing. Uh, Gabini Magaruther against Kiki Burtons. Another steam train. <laughs> that could be close. Yes. That could be good. I, st- I think Magaruther's going to win. It Ra- all. Well, no, that match. She she could win it all. She could, she yeah, could, she could. definitely win it yeah. all. And then Rafael Nadal against Nick Kyrgios. Yes, please. Yeah. Right. If they put something on after Nadal and Kyrgios. Doubles. Yeah. <laughs> Seven o'clock local time. So eight in the morning UK. Is it is it proper doubles or is it legends doubles? Um, it's proper doubles. It's Duckworth and Pullman's against Bublik and Kukushkin. I watched them on the telly earlier. Duckless, Duckworth and Pullman. Pullman's has got an interesting kit. Okay, what is it? it looks like something bad's happened in the wash. <laughs> right. Uh, there then, you go. That's the reason you all need to stick around after five hours of Kyrgios and Nadal to yeah. watch the doubles. Bad kit alert, everybody. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Margaret Court Arena, third match on at uh, not before 3 p.m. local time. Daniel Medvedev against Stan Wawrinka. I wonder mm. if it'll be weird this time. Um, and then Angelique Kerber against Anastasia Pavlichenkova. Another um, steam train. And Annette Kontovet against Igor Sviontek. Sviontek. And uh, I should just address 
my comments about uh, Iga Svantec yesterday, which uh, when she uh, was describing her name or, or telling us how she should we should say her name, and the, there's the Polish version Svantec, and there's the uh, English version Svantec. On that little video that I described, I said she didn't sound as though she know, knew which one she wanted. Well, I had another listen to it today. I got a bit of stick on Twitter about it. Turns out she did actually say, I like, you know, I'm quite happy with the Polish version. So, Świątek it is. That's absolutely fine. We would always um, go with whatever a player wants. That's n- always going to be the case. Um, so, yeah, there we are. Uh, what else have I got to say? Um, we've got Andre Rublev against Alexander Zverev tomorrow on the Melbourne Arena. There's a lot of good matches tomorrow, aren't there? Tomorrow's I, really strong. I think tomorrow is the last day of Melbourne Arena fun. So yes. let's all enjoy then, it while then, we can. And then it just becomes an empty box. Yeah, for it's horrible what happens to the Melbourne Arena. Mm. Yeah. Who's going to win that? Who, who are you going for? Or are you going to wait for the newsletter and have. I is that said, in your newsletter? I said Rublev yesterday, didn't I? Did I know you? you're a believer in. I'm going Zverev. I. I can see it, but, well, I had Rublev in my quarterfinals before the tournament, so I can't hedge now, can Same. I? David's the hedger in the group. <laughs> Hedging on a daily basis. He claims it's inadvertent. But. Most of the time it has been, but now I'm starting to think it might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to close that gap, that mighty gap. So um, you're, who's go- you're going Rublev, Matt. I'm going Rublev, yeah. Okay. Uh, right then. I think it'd be good, though. I do, yeah. Yeah. Should we ever listen to the Mats Verlander, uh, who is a seven-time champion? He's won the Australian Open, a former world number one. Got a chance to speak to him a couple of days ago. First thing I asked him is how far away he felt we were from a new male Grand Slam champion. I think we are about three years away from a complete changing of the guards um, at the end of Grand Slam tournaments. I mean, I think the changing of the guards is happening. Slowly, I think we're seeing um, uh, some of the young guys come out and be more physical, faster, hit the ball harder. Um, They're better athletes than some of the 35-year-olds that are still on tour, and they're they're hanging on by being um, tactically more more skilled, but clearly technically not as good. And I think the best guys are. I think without the chase on. I have a feeling we wouldn't have had this Roger Rafa Novak. I think there, there's something outside of just improving that's driving them, which is why they're all trying to improve and change serves like Nadal and Novak. Uh, but the changing of the guards at the top, I, I see the difference between them and the Tsitsipas and Medvedevs and the Tiafos and on and on and on and on. Is The gap is huge to me, absolutely huge. As big as it's ever been. That includes Sitsipas, Medvedev, yes. team? It includes all of them in terms of winning. It doesn't include all of them in terms of winning against one of them. But you have to say that, okay, to be able to win a Grand Slam today, you have to be ready to be able to beat all three in three matches in a row. It might be that you only have to play one, but that's not the question to me. The question is, is any of the young guys good enough to take out Novak in the quarters, Roger in the semis, and Rafa in the finals? No. Clearly not. They can win a major, you know, by beating one of them and then Roger, I don't know, whatever, and Rafa. But you got to beat the three of them in a row, I think. And I can't see 
that gap between again I can see Tsitsipas beating them I, I agree 100% that he can beat any of them at any time but for him to beat Novak the one day and Roger two days later and no that's not gonna it can happen that they win but that doesn't mean a changing of the guards you know changing of the guards is the guy that can beat all three three matches in a row to me so based on I mean obviously still early stages of this particular tournament but what, what are you expecting from I mean I assume therefore you think on balance one of those big three is going to win this in the end well yes when I've seen the first I mean literally when you watch the first few rounds I think you realize again same thing what's the difference between uh, the first two rounds of Roger and, and uh, Novak and you compare that to the first two rounds of let's say Medvedev I mean it, the, the, it's light years the difference and that's when they're not even trying to do they're just showing the guy they're literally Novak and Roger are telling the guy listen this is what's going to happen if you try really hard and I'm trying really hard okay and I don't want to do that for three sets oh you're now hanging on oh jeez well I got a bit unlucky I dropped my serve now I'm going to break you and then and I told you that's what's going to happen because the two sets love they both say see ya that difference is so massive compared to how Tsitsipas runs away with matches in the end or how Medvedev. So to me, the skill level of those three is so much higher than everybody else, technically, tactically, physically. Now you add the emotional and the physical confidence they have from winning all these majors and the ability to still look at the individual player on that day and say, really? Do you really think you have a chance to beat me today? Yeah, you might, but I'm going to make sure that you are feeling so awful at the end of this match that you're not going to be able to beat my buddy, Roger, in two days. No, it's... As long as those guys from underneath are not physically better than the three top players, I don't see it. That has to be the first thing that happens. And I think you see Shapovalov better than Feliciano Lopez. Do you know what I mean? Those guys are starting to fade out. Fernando Verdasco, not as good as Chapovalo. Lefty, lefty, lefty. But with Roger, he's still better physically. So is Roger. And, I mean, so is Novak and Rafa. Mentally, obviously, the mountain is much, 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 much too tall for them to climb. The, uh, the ATP Cup yeah. gave a different kind of run into this event. Yeah. And, I, and I, I just had a... I was curious as to whether the way they peak might be different because of that I, there was a lot of emotion involved for Djokovic he played yes. a lot of matches yeah. and Rafael Nadal has looked quite tired um, yes. a little fatigued do you, do you think that could be a factor? I think yes I think for Rafa it is a huge factor because of Davis Cup and ATP Cup and I don't know um, I would yes I would agree 100% that it's not perfect preparation to be able to play no to 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 be put in the position where you're not only playing for yourself, where you have outside forces driving you on and then suddenly you end up in a match at the open and it's five sets and it's windy and it's raining and you close the roof and you're sitting there and you're playing some guy who, doesn't, who you don't believe and you don't want to be there and you have no one cheering you on except your coach who's been with you for 15 years, on and on and on. Yeah, I don't think it's perfect preparation. I love the, I love the format and I love the idea and I love that... I think that it's going to prolong their career because there is another reason for them to play tennis because I don't think you'll... I mean, the emotional involvement from Rafa and Novak 
is so great that I think they'll be looking forward to playing the ATP Cup for many, many years and the Davis Cup. So if you take that away, there'll be a reason, another reason, there'll be a, a reason taken away why they shouldn't keep playing. The slams, obviously, you keep. But, so it adds to the regular day. But at the same time, as a preparation, I agree with you. I don't think it's perfect preparation. And therefore, I think Roger is most probably the freshest of the three. Yeah. Um, just a, a final thought. I mean, the numbers, we talk about them probably most Grand Slams between those three yeah. and the way they drive them on. I mean, it is incredible, isn't it, to think 20, 19, 16 for Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, respectively. Any thoughts as to where they're going to end up? Um, not really, because I think that the most... Um, um, the coolest thing about their rivalry, the three of them, is that it seems that it goes, oh, it's Rafa's time. Oh, it's Novak's time. Suddenly, it's Roger's time again. And he wins three majors in two years. And you're like, what the hell? How is this? So it's unpredictable. It's always been pretty unpredictable um, that when one guy gets, gets on top of the other two, then he stays ahead for a year or two. Um, and uh, that's why it's hard to say because if Novak gets on a run, then suddenly, I don't know, what, who's going to stop him winning six out of the next eight majors if he gets on another run? Not, not one of them isn't because he's done it in the past. Is he going to get on? If he doesn't get on the run, well, then he's not winning more than one, one a year because if psychologically, Nadal, if he's not afraid of Novak, he wins two or three every year. So it's what day is Novak going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to run for the president of Serbia instead of playing tennis. I don't know when that happens. But physically, clearly, you would say that Novak, even though he's four behind, physically, I say that he's most probably in the best position to have the most majors at the end of everything, if it was all a physical thing. So there's Mats Verlander. Uh, I just find myself almost not breathing when he talks. <laughs> Because I'm just so transfixed with the stuff he's saying. Because I don't know where it's going to go next. And it's just so interesting. From, from so many different perspectives. One, because he, he, he's in love with tennis. He's in love with watching it. He loves all of these guys. He's got a, a view of it all. And he's, he, he, he'll watch tennis until the cows come out, won't he? And yet he's also done everything. Yeah, it's infectious. Watching mm. Mats Verlander watch tennis is better than watching tennis. <laughs> <You've> <laughs> don't say that lightly. Bit of experience of that. Yeah, it really is. He lives and he can be watching. What was the example we used of a, a niche tennis match when we had Charlie on the podcast? Oh, um, Goffin Baptiste Regu. Yeah, he would be watching Goffin Baptiste Regu and living and breathing every moment of it. Yes, it's yeah, would. it's infectious. What, what do you make Interest of what he's got to say? Well, interesting that he said. I mean, in, yeah, the three years before there's a proper changing of the guard. I mean, uh, uh, Amazon uh, had an interview with Andy Murray around the time of the U.S. Open last year, and he said he thought it'd be 2021, um, but you know, define changing of the guard, I suppose, is the thing. And I think Matt's has come up with an interesting definition of it there, mm. as in one one-off next-gen or someone else winning a slam does not signal changing of the guard. It, it needs to be more sustainable and it needs to be someone going through two mm. or more of the big three to prove that they can beat them. The only... Uh, 
I'm on a hiding to nothing by querying the words of Mats Verlander, but his questioning of those young guys physically, I, I do find surprising. You know, team Medvedev, Tsitsipas. I mean, I know Medvedev sometimes looks like he's held together by sticky tape, but doesn't seem to affect his, his tennis and his ability to win and go the distance. And his, and his physicality, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, f- for me, I, I, I don't have the physical question marks about them. I certainly think there are, there are mental, varying degrees of mental question marks, and maybe that mental stress affects them physically in tight moments. I don't know. But I think they're fit and strong enough to, yeah. I, I certainly think to break through. team, Sitsipas definitely are i think look medvedev has got to a final and nearly beaten nadal um in five sets which i still don't know how he did given <laughs> given the state he was in earlier in that tournament um but you know he did it um and, it, and it's just i i do feel that he will sometimes hit the wall like he did at the o2 mm. um it doesn't give me as much you never see nadal Djokovic, or federer hit the wall do you you just don't see that um but, but that also comes from what I was saying the other day about their smarter scheduling. Yeah. They're, they're not going to put themselves in a position where they're going to hit the wall at a grand slam because they are intelligent enough to know that these are the events where they need to peak. And maybe, they've been doing it for so long. Maybe that's where Muster and team had a disagreement mm. about the schedule. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that, that, that's certainly Timbuktu in you, August. I tell you, the amount that Muster used to play. Well, he, yeah, he used to play but, all the summertime well, clay court shared, events. They shared Gunter Bresnik, didn't they? Yeah. they had Gunter Bresnik in common as their coach, and we all thought when teams split from Gunter Bresnik that the scheduling would change significantly, and maybe it has a bit. Mm. I think it has a bit, sort of earlier in the year, uh, mm. but I am still. I asked. Dominic about his schedule and he, and he didn't really like it did he <laughs> no not really um, there we are uh, I, I probably wouldn't like it either <laughs> if I was in his shoes um, okay well I'm looking forward to tomorrow it's going to be great isn't it um, hope you are too make sure you watch as much as you can we'll be bringing live commentary on BBC Radio if you're in the UK as well particularly in that evening session with the Nick Kyrgios against Roger Federer match and you can guarantee we will be back with a tennis podcast after play tomorrow in which uh, we'll review all of it i can't wait and we've got shout outs matt yes we have i was just going to say on tomorrow when there's when there's one massive headline match like that kiros against nadal i always slightly worry that all day you're kind of waiting for that match but i think the schedule tomorrow is strong enough that you can taking everything else before then yeah um it's gonna be a great day oh yeah so good uh yeah so shout outs to bob stocking oh good on you bob to like, relation of pippi long <laughs> maybe look at matt's confused face <laughs> oh god go on bob who else we got claire hayden yeah and carrie hopkins thank you claire thank you carrie legends Yes, thank you. Thank Back you very to much. Back to us in our crowdfunding Kickstarter to enable us all to be doing exactly what we're doing right now. Um, we can't wait for tomorrow. I uh, hope you will look forward to it as well. Make sure you tell people you know if you see them, if you pr- play tennis at a club and spread the word about the tennis podcast, get them listening. Um, and 
also sign up to our Reddit community, our tennis podcast community, which is now over 500 strong, which means my Ask Me Anything is on its way. Uh, and I have now signed up to Reddit myself. That is the first step, I think, yeah. to doing an Ask Me Anything. My username is David Two Beers Law. <laughs> strong. So I think that says everything you need to know. And I'm on my second. Um, and yes, newsletter's coming your way. Matt's got the best stat you've ever seen tonight. And so get on the newsletter uh, distribution list. Scan down on your show notes. Uh, click, stick your email in. It's coming your way. Um, and that's about it. We'll be back again with another tennis podcast tomorrow. Thanks for your company. We'll see you then. 